0: Paul O'Neill uh, sitting down with a football podcast special with Paul Arkham just to talk about his uh, recent decision to decision to stop writing books and to look back at some of the ones that he has written in the past. So I guess the first question, Paul, is like, you've made the decision to stop writing. Why is it came about now? Um, well, a lot of reasons. Um,
1: the last one being um, after lockdown, pretty much everybody anybody who anybody wrote a book And the market became absolutely saturated, and it became saturated with people who have got publicists and managers and all sorts of stuff like that, and it became really, really difficult for space on bookshelves, in the sense of, as well, that, you know, I didn't obviously, I never promote my work on Amazon, even though it's pretty much all available there. When you go into a bookshop, you know, it's not that big. No hmm. matter even Waterstones and that and there's only so many books that can go on these shelves and quite often I look at these shelves and think what stands out to me? Because most of them are in the same pastel colours and if they're a woman's book um, and if they're an autobiography it's a picture of the famous person's face and their hmm. name front and centre and then you see things like um, I saw um, Louise Redknapp who got as part of there divorce settlement that she could still continue to use the red Redknapp name. Mm. And I just thought, God, this is really, is this really where we're going? It just, it's all about your, what you're known as and, and so on and so forth. Um, and I've also come to the, the realisation that I've kind of written and said as much as I want to say. Mm-hmm. You know, I've written 17 books and, and you know, I've covered, you know, different types of subjects and sort of or related and I've done novels and things and all the rest of it Um, so when you're doing that kind of thing you know I've always said to anybody because quite a lot of people and I'm pretty sure they do this because they're like how on earth did you manage to do this ask you you know for any advice and I thought I've always would always taken the time it was predominantly emails to write back as much as I could but you would find a lot of the people they weren't asking for advice what they were waiting for was the shortcut mm.
2: and
1: tell, there me, if, ni- tell I, me there is <laughs> not a shortcut you know whatever you're doing in terms of if it's a novel or a you know, factual book or whatever that's going to require a minimum of six months alone at the laptop mm. there's no getting away for that at all um, then of, of course I didn't talk to the press and I didn't use publicists and all that sort of thing so in the past I would be promoting the book using myself and effectively I'm promoting myself you know I remember talking to a guy who was uh, a sort of PR communications guy mm-hmm. a friend of mine about 12 years ago and he was telling me then he said these things now it's all about you you're the brand it's not the books you, you have to sell yourself and that's what i tried to do, you know, with, with social media and Facebook and videos and films and all the rest of it. But i just kind of got tired of that, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because it's like, no matter how well your previous book did, did, you went back to the start again. You had to start from scratch as a blank paper. And that can be exciting as a writer, a blank piece of paper. You know, that can be magical because you don't know where it's going to go. And I used to listen to writers like Ian Rankin and that you know, I had no idea where the story was going. And thinking, really? but I can relate to that, because yeah. whatever comes in your head. But, I, I you know, I'm, I'm 48 in June, and I didn't really feel like promoting myself anywhere. Right. Um, it's kind of the time for me to step away for that sort of stuff and, you know, put things like my family first and put my own life first and put... You know, because there was times when I was living on the edge of stuff, and that meant... Um, you know, going out and getting in trouble all the time and not being able to go certain places and not getting served in such, just because of who I am. Which is all fine when you're single, mm-hmm. you know, or have young kids who don't know. But when you have, you know, one now grown-up kid, one who's um, about to become a teenager, and a wife and all that, you have to think of them as well. Mm-hmm. And so when I combined all that, of the six months you're writing, let alone at a laptop, then all the promotion that... that, that As well as trying to sell the book, what it does is open yourself up to people who hate you, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and you know online abuse is something I've suffered for years and doesn't bother me at all. But when it starts to drip into your family and all that, that can be difficult because it's easy for you to say, "Oh, it doesn't bother me at all," but it bothers him. It bothers him big time. So a combination of all that, I just felt you know what it's time to.
0: Uh, move on for that. Mm-hmm. So, you said there as well, it was like if you started a new book, new project, it was exciting in terms of you never knew where it was going to go. Yeah. Was that coupled with the fact that the promotion was like the opposite, like sort of having to start that process over again? Yeah.
1: Like? I mean, as an example, right, Ken, I've, I think I've got about 20 odd thousand followers on uh, Twitter, and people might think, oh, fucking hell, that's brilliant, so you can just tell them about the book and or buy it. Well, not, because the algorithms at most about 1,000 will see the tweet. And all that tweet needs is one tweet negativity for it to be cloaked in it. Mm. And then you have the choice of ignoring it and people thinking, oh, it must be true what the person said, or hitting back and then the whole thing is cloaked in negativity. So you end up becoming reticent to go that way. Then you, you go through Facebook and I've got a Facebook uh, group and again, you're getting this quote about 1,400 members, and you're getting look at the post analytics, the post features reaching 130 people, mm. and there are people genuinely who you're flogging, and you know sometimes a dead horse or whatever, and they're kind of like some people are gone. Well, I don't even know anything about this, mm. and to to others you're saturating it, and so it's that fine line as well. And as I say, what it also bleeds into Paul is. You can't have a debate with anybody about anything because they then either bring up your work as somehow that's related to your opinion on Ukraine or whatever, and then think, well, I'm not going to buy the next fucking thing either because hmm. he doesn't agree with me about chocolate ice cream being better than strawberry,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it just becomes so petty and parochial in that sense, um, and I just kind, I can't kind of live like that because, you know. There are people who spend hundreds of thousands of pounds a month protecting their image, that kind of thing. Whereas I've always been a bit of a gobby cunt, and so I can never will sit back. You know, and ultimately in this day and age. You know, people, some people are still shocked by this I've never had any support for Celtic or anything I've done mm. quite the opposite I've had obstacles and have basically become a pariah at the club to, to the point where I think there's only two people at the club who will even speak to me now if I have an inquiry or anything like that, that was confirmed to me a couple of months ago and that's because I asked the questions that they didn't want to answer mm. um, you know, I'll go to fans forums and things and ask some questions just can't answer them and they didn't want that. You know, I was also unceremoniously dumped to fan media for that very reason. Mm. That I'm not prepared to sit here and sit and go, aye, i and ball and nod like a wee pet dog. Especially when you see people who are in fan media and they're in there getting photos with the people they're supposed to be questioning and all that. And you're like, no, that's not how it's meant to work and myself and a few others fought tooth and nail we get fan media sacrificed a lot of things to get there there's no recognition of that whatsoever mm. um, so sometimes you have to let go you know it's a wee bit like the tug of war scenario um, in the kind of cognitive behaviour therapy thing where people you know you get so kind of, angst ridden about certain things and all you've got to do is let go Mm. You know, like that, and that's what you know. So they say, what would happen if you let, you're in a tug of war team and you let go? Well, first of all, the other team would fall down, and second of all, you'd be released for the mm. the work that you have to put in. And that's kind of how I went with this, with the books and all that, fighting anyway, because I couldn't get a Celtic to stock any of the books. The asterisk years I was told that um, there was no market for that. Um, and that way, I only sell it currently eighty thousand copies. Um, then I was told tell- with another book, or a swearing on it. Like, well, <laughs> people swear, you know, it's, it's it's that kind of thing, and it's it's basically then you know when you're kind of a wee bit green and you're thinking, oh, well, what about this then, What about that? And it's basically you need to say to yourself, I just never got to do it.
2: Hmm.
1: <laughs> You know, it's going to be something else and something else and something else. So. As I say, that kind of putting myself out there i put a lot of my life out there mm-hmm. In books and in podcasts and in films and all the rest of it And it was time to draw a line under that as well
0: Is it, is it just about letting go of that As you say, you can argue back with people and Or you can try and convince them Is it about just going to a stage where I didn't need that ne- negativity? Almost?
1: Aye, there is a lot of that I mean, there's absolutely I mean, you probably Anybody listening to this will know And you'll know that there is absolutely no point in arguing with somebody online No Um, I was talking to her, and by the way, that would not be me at all until about two years ago, because I was talking to a family member in America who just happened to slip in that they hadn't been vaccinated. And I was like, why no? And this is someone who's in the medical industry. I've heard too many bad things about the the vaccines. vaccines. And I thought, my immediate thought was, and you've not heard anything bad about COVID, (laughs) um, but then I said, rather than that, I was like, look it's fruitless of debating this online this is who regulates the vaccine so we'll look at that kind of thing. That's it. but like I've had scenarios where for example I was it was when the new club thing was raging about um, Sevco and what have you and this one guy got in touch with me SEVCO fan this is about five or six years ago and he said you know you seem to be one of these that can I have all this information about it? I'd like to look at this kind of subjectively So I started feeding him information and by the sixth tweet back, he said, oh, I'm not going to read that because I've read enough. And I was kind of like, okay. And then we went back and forth until he sent me about the 18th tweet, I think it was, he sent me a picture of the two children who murdered James Bulger. And I said, what have you sent me that for? And he replied, because you're as bad as name and blocked me. Okay. And that's when you start to realise that you, you, you just can't even win. <laughs> you know? Um, I had put a picture up only yesterday, Bobby Madden um, with Ian Ferguson with years and years ago. And some of the responses were absolutely mind-boggling. Right? From um, it's just been verified.
0: <laughs> by who?
1: You know? <laughs> there was a picture of a, a young, another young guy in it, and he said, Who's the other guy? You know, you like, the focus of it is Bobby. You know, and you can't get past that level where, you know, people are great individually and all that, but collectively they can be incredibly stupid and ignorant and all the rest of it. And I realised I basically became bulletproof in terms of abuse, hmm. right? There was, only, there was only so much can be said to you before it eventually just stops. And it's like getting a kick in, you know. After a while, it you just not even feel it. But as my family get older and my sons get older and my wife's there and no, all the rest of it, it does affect them. And so it's time to kind of pull the drawbridge up a wee bit on that, you know. Right. O- on to some of your
0: actual books, so been writing for what over 20 years on 22 1999 years? i started yeah, that 20, 23 years going up so it's up quite lot. and you've wrote loads of books as well right so both fiction non-fiction mm-hmm. and obviously a book like celtic for instance are based around yeah. stories and actual events mm-hmm. do you have a do you have a preference for do you write in that style is it easier working when there's a structure like researching dates and actual facts or do you like the freedom that like the fictional stuff. Definitely
1: the fictional stuff is easier um, in the sense that you can write anything mm-hmm. and you can take it anywhere you want and you can think, well, be, you know, sometimes in factual stuff, I mean, you are you're structured, you're regulated you can only print the facts because if you're doing an exposure take the last thing you need is lies in it or mm. fabricated stuff or like, and you would love those times you said, say oh if only they'd done this or if only they'd done that that'd be phenomenal for this part of the story but they never and you've got all these people watching you thinking they're looking for anything who couldn't say this is a load of bollocks because of this um, there are things in, in Factual Books that I regret not putting in. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some things that I still, you know, one of the things I remember when I was doing the research in the ASSIS years was finding out, speaking to an ex girlfriend David Murray um, Jr. for an insight into him. And, you know, it was roughly, he was the same out, but he was nowhere near the same kind of evil genius scenario with David Murray. Was that she just happened to drop into the conversation and by the way i was way the source of this well one of the sources of the book so it was a completely platonic thing that she could swallow a banana home <laughs> <laughs> and that, that was a party trick and i was like there's no relevance to this in the book it would have been great to in there eh? but similarly when i wrote the book which was 2012 to 2013 the other aspect of the story connected to it was that this guy was telling me that there was a huge paedophile ring connected to the establishment and he took me to a, a house, a house opposite the Royal Commonwealth Pool and he said that's where it all happened and the goat found out because one of the guys who was a very high ranking banker caught AIDS and had to go and explain this to his wife and children because he'd caught off he, you know, rent boys and things like that right but at the time, and one of the people that he basically said was running it was Nicholas Fairbairn, the Tory guy who was, you know, used to dress and all the kilts and all that, right? At the time, that was not a big, huge, fucking okay, everybody's everywhere thing. So I was like, this has got to be another year of the boot now. so I'm just going to leave that out. And then, of course, these stories broke everywhere. Mm. And so I should have pushed that in there, kind of thing. Um, but in terms of writing novels I love writing novels You know, I would do that every day if I could the problem is a lot of people are not interested in me writing novels mm. and novels never sold as much as factual books which is a shame because obviously but then I remember a story that Irwin Welsh tell about when he originally wrote Spotting. it was like 180,000 words and the publisher said to him who the fuck wants to read 180,000 words for you? Nobody knows who you are. And that's a really good point, you know, because as much as you're in love with yourself as a writer, it's like, well, nobody knows who you are, why would they want it? So you locked that off, and that, you locked the opening off, and that became Boys years later. Right. But, you know, you as much, novels are quite indulgent, you know, because I defy anybody to be like, you know, if I'm writing a character, I'll think like, who is this guy? So and so. Oh, he's like so and so. So then every time I write that character, I'm writing about that person. Mm. Now I might think that person is this what this character is, but other people would never have a clue who he is. Mm. So you need to be really, really good at what you're doing. Um, and basically you know the, the most self-indulgent that I've been with because when I wrote what I called the Gadget Trilogy which is Connolly Rise and Merciless and The Gunner and that was basically a love letter to my growing up in Urhus mm. right and the people now I knew that would sell for all and it basically did sell for all but I really, really enjoyed writing it and I really, really enjoyed reading it back and all the rest of it because it was like I was able to play with it even though I knew the only people who would really get this were people who were involved at the time or grew up at the time or whatever and so that's all fine but I didn't have, you know, benefactors and huge bank accounts allowing me to just stay a role, down and go into my shed and write all day and all that kind of thing. I've got to work. You know, I've got to put food on the table and clothes on the back and all the rest of it I've got kids I've got hooses I've got footballs, I've got all that kind of thing so obviously I did another job as well now um, and thought to myself right you know I'll take away the book aspect and start writing stuff that I didn't need to promote personally myself because it's films or it's screenplays or it's TV pilots or whatever and the, it's aimed at people watching stuff on a screen Therefore, it is completely different to writing books about what you know. Hmm. Most stuff, when you write for TV, kind of thing, is not what you know, it's more what you've learned. You know, Jed Mercurio with um, Liney Duty, he wasn't a policeman. No. And then that scenario, he's obviously talked to you. I mean, you know, I remember reading a story about John Lacari, and it was, eight, I think he's 80 of Buffy in London. And he invited one journalist along and he said I was sitting in between the head of the CIA and the head of the KGB, (laughs) which is phenomenal. But also you then realise where Lakari got his stories from, you know, so that's where my focus is
0: now. And so now that you're done with the books, is there any kind of project that you wish you'd done or right. you had ambitions to do that you shelved or do you just feel you reached a point where you kind of done everything you wanted I've done everything You books definitely that I wanted to do. Uh,
1: plays are, are still, I've done one play which was an audio play for, you know, radio type thing about um, two guys after the day after the Scottish and the Pens referendum. Plays are something that I've always wanted to explore. What I like about the fact that he plays is you can go to a play one night and watch it, great, and go the next night and see a different play, mm. even though it's the same story and whatever. Um, I think actors and actresses who can do plays are really talented. Mm. You know, to be able, not just to learn all the lines, but to actually have a, then, a performance yeah it mm-hmm. is absolutely incredible. Um, and it's very reactive. Um, and I also like the instant reaction from an audience to something you've written. Mm-hmm. You know, so... I've got one play in development, which I've had for a long time, Jim the Tim, and I've tried to imagine that, because i felt that the plays about this scenario set in 1970, there has to be a realness and a rawness to it, that it's no about people chortling, <laughs> it's about the kind of laughs you have with your mates at parties at New Year, and all that, that people are on the flare and tears laughing, that's what I want. Or they're really crying because they've seen something like that, you know, that kind of thing. So that's something that I definitely need to explore. Um, but in terms of the books, no, I mean, that's kind of why I finished on Tim's, because that's kind of what I've been all my life, and I thought, I'll, I'll talk about that. And of course, any writer will tell you, and this whole happens all the time you do, a subject to a book, I've done the book, um, wrote it, all the rest of it, and then loads of people getting in touch after the fact saying, oh, I've got a story for that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, fine, but the book's been written. That's um, and I had so many, and then so many great stories, and people would thought, oh, I could tell you about this, and that, and next thing. And then, of course, comes here, you get people disagreeing, saying, no, no, it was this, and no, it was that, and all that sort of thing. But that was pretty much where I needed to go in terms of, you know, I started off by writing the football club about Celtic modern day. This was about Celtic
0: in the past, and I think that's a good bookend, to use a, good, a pun. Mm-hmm. So you just mentioned your first book there. So your first book... Football Club Tim, mm. Can you sort of see Areas where you actually Matured as a and you actually
1: Pinpoint things you've done Or oh, just definitely. You feel more confident uh, Filling enough mm-hmm. I was having a conversation With my youngest son Jake about this When a, a band Do an album They put everything into it You know the, every, the minute they've set foot In a studio Picked up a guitar Picked up a set of drum sticks Or whatever They've got everything The do is geared to That album that comes out which is why people then talk about the difficult second album, because they've done everything. We write and I think it's completely different. I think the mere you do it, the better you get. The stuff I've done in the last couple of years is by far the best I've ever done. No question about it. Um, my style when it was the football club was very much a kind of fanzine street, mm-hmm. style. deliberately, but you know, it was kind of get all the information out on the paper and let them fucking decide. As you get forward a wee bit more, you then start thinking about structure and you start thinking about what tools and all that sort of stuff. And um, and then I went into education, I adult education in 2012 and done higher English, advanced English, done a degree Media and all that kind of thing. and you learn different aspects of your writing and so on and so forth, and structure, and you know, um, plot points, and all the rest of it. Um, so you kind of know where you're going and what you're doing. Um, and so by the the, the the time you you know, it's interesting because I think is the only thing that this applies. Like you know, because I mean, you could argue. If you take films, you know you got Quentin Tarantino. I think most people would say his best film by far is *Pulp Fiction*, mm-hmm. which was his second film, right? Coincidentally, probably the, the second the writing best writing did was *True Romance*. It was a room to at the same time it's sold to somebody else, and he's never quite, to mm-hmm. me, got to that level again. Not that it's not been great. I lot of stuff's been great, but I think when you're writing books, it's different because. You just have so much more space to explore, and I think that's why he brought out, as a supplement to the movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood book, novel, because he obviously, even though that's a long movie and it's a great movie and all the rest of it, still felt he had more to say, Mm -hmm. which is always going to get cut down for a script. Um, So these kind of things, you know, you just learn, learn, learn all the time. The other thing I learned is... Quite often, especially when I started writing in 2010, I would write books to live, you know, to make money, to live and rent and food and whatever. But if you have the opportunity, we should absolutely give a book time to breathe, you know, because it's not a case of you write the book and then go, and so many people make this mistake they turn round one day and go, I've written a book, here it is. And people are like, what the fuck's this all about? The idea. You have to give the book life before it, get, you have to get people ready for it. Then you have to give it life when it's there. And then you have to look at ways that you can give it life long after it's been out. Because unless you're bombarding the telly we with adverts and putting billboards up, there are thousands and millions of people who have no idea you've even written a book, never mind written in 17 like that or anything like that. And so you've always got to be mindful of that. Um, the other thing is, you do develop a thick skin, you know, because criticism will come from everywhere, you know, um, and quite often you feel like saying, well, let's read one of your fucking books then, and so on, um, but that's no as much as it is with films, with films, I had so many people, you know, Perfect example, was the Asterisk Years, and one guy, when me and Ja were in the filming process here, kept sending me these messages, and should do this and you should do that and all that sort of thing and his experience in films would probably have gone to the cinema mm. and at the start of that Ja would be like oh just just say thanks very much mate I'll bear that in mind and by the end of it Ja was like well fucking ask him to let's look at his fucking documentaries and see what he's done you know it comes for you everywhere and, 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 and it's one of the biggest I'm always about encouraging the working classes to be confident and believe in themselves right but there are so many people ready to shoot them down Mm. the minute that he goes above the parapet particularly in scotland i have no idea why we do it but you're just gonna get shit no matter what but you should never compromise what you're doing because of that Mm. because i always say i read a quote sid vicious who said was asked by an interviewer when you're writing songs as a solo artist do you think about the man in the street? And he said,
0: No. And the guy said, Why? He Because I've met the man in the street and he's a cunt. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> It's actually interesting as well really, that you that it's that Scottish attitude, Like it's like an American does something like I'm going to get, I'm going yeah. to get, I'm going to drive that car one day, like yeah you go mate, in Scotland's you not drive that car and you like, shut up, you have to, that's ah, you have
1: to surround people who say why not, Aye. you know, instead of getting these people in your life who say every time, oh, why, why are you doing that, why, 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 why not, why, why aren't you doing that, you know, and this is the thing I've tried to encourage in so many people, is we've all got talent, right, but if you listen to, for example, the lyrics of working class hero by John Lennon, he just sums it up perfectly. You know, as soon as you're born, they hate you if you're clever, but they despise a fool. <laughs> and it's the boot keeping you one you know, that good cop, bad cop thing all the time. Um, but when you start to get the answers and once you start to actually realise that they above us are no better than us <coughs> and that they're no, they've not got fucking all the privilege and all the rest of it they will go after you, you know, they will shoot down the kind of people, like your John Lennons and all that kind of thing, who realise, we fucking idiots didn't know the answers, mm-hmm. you know, we know men, we'll ever fucking know. But they hate that, they absolutely hate that, and that's why, you know, in this country especially, we are still obsessed with the establishment and the monarchy and all the rest of it, even though now people are starting to be like, why on the earth are we paying these people money? What do we pay them for? So you have to fight back against that. You have to have stick it to the man. You know that has to be part of why you do stuff as a working class person. You know, I'm very inspired by a company, uh, Seven Eighty Four, a theatre company which, when it came out, was called Seven Eighty Four because at that point, seven percent of the country owned eighty-four percent of it that's why they called it now if that company started today the numbers would be 393 so it's got worse mm. so we need to build platforms and opportunities um, and mediums for people from nowhere because I'll tell you right now Paul, you are care it yourself the old working class escapes are gone mm. football and boxing and all that, they're all gone we didn't have these escapes anymore, so creativity is huge, and we have to encourage that as much as possible. You know, I grew up in an era in the 80s with Thatcherism, and as horrible and horrific as that was, it inspired things like The Jam, although they did say they forgot about Tory for a laugh once, Boys for the Black Stuff, A mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Key Moody, working classes fighting back, you know? Um, we did not have that now. Music's full with middle class people. Films and actors are all coming through fucking public school and all this pish and, you know, your Benefit Cumberbatches and your Eddie Redmans and all that kind of thing. They've already fucking had the Silver Spoon. You know, now they've got a full cutlery fucking set. We need the rawness, the working class people, you know, the guys you know, and I'd people to read things like The Ragged Trousered Philanthropist and all that, talking about books. That'll change your life if you're not in class. You see what we're up against, but you see how to fight back against it and all. Um, so that would, that is kind of,
0: I've completely forgot what the question was, but that's where my focus will be from now on. <laughs> uh, you, when you first started drinking, you took a break for a wee while, didn't you, when you moved to New York? Yeah. And it was one of your mates uh, sort of, uh, yeah. uh, encourage you to do it but going into that sort of like yeah. American can-do attitude mm. it's, it's interesting that that's what but do you think you would have got back into it eventually or do you think that was a kick up the arse it's,
1: say, difficult, sort of... it's yeah. difficult to say actually I mean that had been I hadn't written anything for about three years at, five years at that point, by about 2005 and then obviously i went to New York the mm-hmm. first time and, and got into trouble and ended up you know being a guest to the government for about a month or so and sponsors this TV National world. Kinda had to put my life back on track after that because if you remember, you know I lost my house, my job, mm. all my possessions, my mo- money, and had basically the clays I was standing in and um, about eighty-three dollars I think it was. And um, so then I went back and rebuilt and all that sort of stuff. And then we were sitting in the Housey Brews pub, which is no longer there, in Hell's Kitchen. And I was kind of saying that, that, you know, here we are, we're back again, and started evolving. And he just said to me, you know, why don't you start writing again? And then I was like, well, what about? And then he's like, well, you're always talking about Love Street in '86, why don't you write about that? And so that that came um, from our work with Love. And, you know, started the journey that's basically ended now. Um, And that person was was Gary Haley, who'd helped me in so many other scenarios in fact I'll say you know, Tom Arnold um, Roseanne's ex-husband who said in a stand-up gig that I saw once he says you only need three friends in life and the reasons are as long as they can put you up without asking why you need to put up I've never contradict anything you say in front of a woman and bail you to jail without asking if you did it and Gary done so he helped me massively, and you'll see dedications and everything I did to him because of that. As to whether I would have written before, I don't know. Because it had genuinely never occurred to me in that time at all.
0: Um, so at that point, did you know, see yourself as a writer then? No, no really. I
1: mean, um, obviously I'd written, a book, written two books, both of which are now out print before anybody asks. And... Um, Done my fanzine and then basically had enough of it by about two thousand and five, was gonna write a book about Gordon Strachan, I'd got Adrian and as a forward if you remember at the time they were doing Max of the Day 2 together. And um, Gordon Strachan and the meetings or the times I'd seen him and that pissed me off so much.
2: Because
1: it was kinda of like a wee bit of a parallel thing, who comes to me, I come to me, and all that sort of thing. I had the cover done, he was dressed up like rain and train spot on all that shit. And I just thought, I can't write about this, I just couldn't have an affinity with him at all, and, you know, he just wasn't interested in him. and I just kind of fell out of love with I mean, then, I guess, and never even thought about it until that conversation, which was probably December 2010, on a Sunday night, watching American Football, I think, you know, it was a good sports bar, and then, um, because Gary and I, you know, in that period, had haunts all over Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was always quite funny, because a lot of the time, he was meant to be working (laughs) when we were doing it. And so then, quiet times in his work, and I'd be there, and his partner would, a partner by me, working partner, would say, would you fancy going to that pub? And you'd have to find, where's that? (laughs) And then they'd walk in, hey, guys, you want the usual? You know, like, fucking hell. Um, So... Aye, that's what I am But that's the way I honestly don't know I mean I might have done But um,
0: who knows Okay, moving on We're A bit into I'll be to You quite often Hold book launches Or something yeah. Like the parties And stuff to Promote the books On their first two And I was at your recent And last one Tim In April um, Do you actually get time To enjoy them? As events, or has it become like a distraction and just um, stressful?
1: That one was probably the one I enjoyed the most on the basis that it was organised by somebody else. Hmm. Um, and that, so it's a bit of similar, like, you know, it's, they're organised by somebody else when I was doing film tours, but you have to then have somebody who knows what they're doing. And quite often I turned up at places and they literally hadn't turned tested the equipment, had any idea what they were, doing? like, fucking kid me on. And some people genuinely expect you to turn up with a big screen, and <laughs> are you kidding? <coughs> um, but I enjoyed that one, because Claire obviously, Claire Manari obviously organised it, Because previously i would be the one organising it, honestly, and I, people, anybody's organising. You, you know, you get people like, they'd they come and, and they, then they'd be like, or oh, they say they come in, and then on Saturday they'd send you a message, I'm not coming. And you feel like saying, and I'm, you know, do you fucking phone up Warner Brothers when you see you're what the to cinema? No, it's I don't care. Like it's your business, but it just adds to the stress. Um, and previously, I mean, it's things that even in the last ten years, I remember, like you know, phone batteries were no what they were are now. Mm. And so you'd get a football match normally, and your phone battery be dead, and you'd have a hundred people trying to get in touch with you, and you're like, <laughs> fuck, you know, because a lot of people as well, and people are going out, like, they want to make the night about them. Mm. And so you'd have a big do at say, like Parker's like and you'd have these people who you barely spoken to get in touch with you every day before that. And it's took me a while to realise that what that's about is so that when they see you, they can make out that you're like best buddies and, mm. you know, oh, I'm in with the fucking break, in the bricks and all that kind of thing. And I deliberately tried to distance myself from everybody who wasn't a close friend, basically, that I didn't know well because that's what would happen when, when I didn't do that and tried to just be as, as polite and as affable to as many people as possible that led to so much difficulty and hassle on the basis of people were saying oh so and so was saying you know, that you've done this and you're saying that and I'm like what the fuck are you talking about or you know football players get this a lot of notice you get people coming up to you and say well oh, I know I'm so and so's cousin and it's so-and-so is some vague guy you met five years ago and fucking leaving in Fife or something. And what they are saying is, they're not saying I'm so-and-so's cousin. What they're saying is, talk to me, I'm no mental, honestly. And <laughs> that'll verify the fact, because I'm so-and-so's cousin, that I'm no mental. And then you'll remember so-and-so and think, they were fucking mental. <laughs> so, you know, that kind of thing goes along a lot. And so you can't really, because at the end of the day, whatever anybody sees, well, we are a book launch, are to sell books. Mm. You know, sell and sign books, so that's in your mind as well. That you can't let the night go away for you because you need to keep people's focus on buying the books and so on. Um, So that can be difficult, and that is another reason why you know I was kind of fed up. He going round the country, and you know, you get so much fucking hassle. And people try to be smart and all that and trying to have a go at you and, you know, what to fight you and and all that. And people will be like, really? Honestly? I could tell you five famous people right now that I know who you wouldn't believe the hassle they put up with, Mm. you know. um, One person I know, quite famous in Scotland, you know, I was walking down the street about a year ago and the guy just walked up and he butted him. For no reason whatsoever, because the guy was half cut. And I've had that. You know, I've had scenarios where people have been threatening me for the audience. And you're looking at the organisers and say, Are you going to do anything about this? And they're not, because hmm. they're shrinking at that point. There's only been a couple, I don't know what to go into specific detail, but there has been a couple of people who did step in, thankfully. And then the next again, day, they've got in touch with me and said, oh, I'm really sorry, I was drunk. As if that somehow excuses, I thanks for ruining the night, like, but because oh, you were pushed, you know. And you, you, what am I supposed to say? Well, then I drink again? <laughs> you know, because if I, you know, if I was like that when I was pushed, then I wouldn't drink. You know, but so that can be really difficult, really fucking difficult in the sense of, you know, you What I found really bizarre about boot launches and film premiere eh, to shows and whatever it is all the ones I've done and I've done over 100 never not once did anybody organise and say you've done these before what do you think should happen <laughs> they would go and assume what they would do would be the best and you look at the night and go oh, for fuck's sake you've got a comedian on before the film what have one got to do with the other and of course the comedian as well saying this is ridiculous or one place wanted to have a comedian on after the film well put a comedian on between the film and the QA and the comedian's gone, Are you fucking joking? It's not exactly conducive like, for them, um, isn't it? Or the you know, film premiere, film night, you'll have, uh, you'll go in, you'll be like, Would, uh, put the film on right away. No, no, we'll put it on at about 10 o'clock. Well, first of all, it's half six. Why am I here? And secondly, you really want people to be drinking three and a half hours before the fucking film comes on. And they'll say, but if you put the film on early, everybody will just leave after it. Cause that's why they're here, and you're like, that's fine, but then you tell me to come at half sick? You know, it just, yeah, right. you become the property of other people, basically, and, and that, that's a big part of it, something that I just don't know what to do anyway.
0: Is there any launches or events that like, are stand-up for you, like, for either good or bad, apart from what we really try to attack you? <laughs> I think the first one in Scotland, which was at the Admiral Bar, which I think you were at. Aye, Aye. I was,
1: uh... Was, was brilliant because I, you know I'd had one before in New York right and that was like the local pub the Celtic house in the Bronx no problem you? Um, that was the day the Celtic would hurt Mr Penalty in the last minute I think Wanyama scored for Celtic oh, Foster right, right. saved the penalty That's right away mm-hmm. um, so when I come back and it was like we've got to deal one an Addenal and it was Jason Higgins who was very helpful and he kind of organised that I had, na- had no idea what to expect mm. you know because like and we like were playing Kilmarnock that day, and we, if we won, we won the league, doing it at Rugby Park. So I'm relying on folk to go down to Kilmarnock. and any Celtic supporter listening to this knows that train for Glasgow to Kilmarnock? when Celtic it. was unbelievable. I mean, it's like it's pores in the fucking you know, rail wheeling, and we win six 0 So fantastic! But then all you're thinking is boot launch, you know. So we get there, and I remember. The first person I seen at the bar was Hosey. And I'm looking about and I'm like, I didn't recognise anybody here. But he's sitting like, no, on the boot and the stair. I was like, Well, let me know when it opens And the guy goes, There's about 60 people down there already. Mm. That lifts you straight away. All oh, right, you go doing, And it was, you know, it all went past and I blurred that, because it was all new and fucking real and all the rest of it. And it, my pal Mike Boyd was over uh, from Chicago mm-hmm. and I'd lived with Mike. Mike's a great friend of mine and I'd seen him the next day or I spoke to him the next day and I was like I'm not really sure how it went and he went Paul people were and out the door <laughs> I think it went quite well and that's the thing it's a wee bit like derby matches you only enjoy them after you've won you, want, you <laughs> yeah, know type of course. thing uh, in terms of bad ones I mean book launches have normally been alright uh, I can't really think of anything they've normally been successes I, don't know. I could go and I had a right few book tour uh, film tour things that were horrendous but um, actually probably the worst book once I've ever done was in Denny and it was uh, a room full of people who I didn't had any idea who I was despite the fact they'd bought tickets to come along and see it. and at that time it was just in the book and I had like a mind map mm. of just, like a wall of crime murray and all that right so I'm doing my thing and I could see this guy looking at me in astonishment the whole time, right, as if I had a fucking picture of his wife up and describing parts what her body like, you know. And eventually, I hand up, say, "Wait, wait, what, what the fuck was all this?" And I said, "What do you mean, David Murray's a billionaire? He's not done any of this and blah blah blah." And I'm like, "Well, I'm trying to say that he hasn't, kind of thing." No, 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 he got night aid and blah blah blah. And I'm like. And you might think that everybody in that room will go fuck off. What are you talking about? Every single person just stood at me, stood staring at me, like it's Bill Hickey's a dog getting shown a car trick. <laughs> and you're like, what, what, what the fuck is going on here? You know, uh, I done a little book launch in Lam where there was huns there, because they, they didn't tell me that the bar was just us. All oh, right, okay and I could feel the daggers you know and you're like am I going to have to um, one of the most bizarre ones film tour things I've done was in Aloa and we're sitting at a table and it was anyone but Celtic and there was four older guys at this table in front of us and the film starts and I could hear this guy just commentating through it oh listen to this now oh my god oh Christ oh listen to the paranoia listen what the fuck is going on here so I realised straight away that there were hunts, eh? so I went to the organiser and I said "Are you got anything about this like he went, oh I didn't like confrontation <laughs> so I had to physically throw them out myself you know and you're like really <laughs> Like, you know because I've always tried to make it a situation where I only charge 150 quid for the appearance because I wanted the club or whatever to make money for it and that, and that would be me sort of thing but genuinely we'd had people you know i in Greenock uh, they wanted to hire me but they wanted a copy of the DVD for everybody after the event and, and I was like that's not possible because of the copyright and I need to show it to other people and all that and they were just like I can't give a fuck about other people what about our members so that kid never went happened you know so what you realise quite, quite really uh, quite obviously is that there's no as queer as folk <laughs> yeah, that's
0: true um, so overall all the books you've done have you got like a one standout book that you think that's the best piece of work I've produced, even if it wasn't the most successful thing?
1: Uh, probably anyone but Celtic. The Astroskiers. What I tried to was write a parallel piece of here's the rich fucks with all the opportunities and privileges, a mile and a half of where I grew up where we had fuck all. Anybody outside Edinburgh didn't understand that. Mm-hmm. I perfected that, or I sort of corrected that. beg pardon anyone but Celtic and what about? scenarios that everybody would know. For example, I was writing about Hugh Dallas and I was liking an, uh, Kevin Spacey's character in um, House of Cards, but he only ever done things and met people to so get up the ladder. And that really resonated with folk kind of thing and that's still the book that everybody talks to me about. So I would, I'm would, i probably most proud of that. But at the end of the day, I'm proud of all of them. You know, they all came from different places and I um, I suppose the one thing I, one I learned from you was the last Perl dialer, where I tried to write these two characters that were basically Celtic and Rangers, that's who they were, but it's characters, and to this day only one person ever noticed that,
0: so the, the lesson I learned they was don't try and be too clever, because hmm. Nebedee will fucking get it, you know. Um, so I think the final question mm-hmm. it's quite... Quite common for offers, I think, to sometimes say, like, this is me done, I'm not writing in, and they'll come, yeah. back. come back in a couple of years. Do you, do you think this is it? Do you be tempted back some point, or do you think... I mean, point it's, it's not
1: for writing, obviously, but it definitely is for books. Um, my youngest son, Jake, has just written a, written a novella, um, mm-hmm. and, and we'll talk about that uh, to him later on the podcast. I want to put my... Force behind that kind of thing, but my son's day because they're of the age now where they can do stuff, and so if I can help them with that. Although James is my oldest son, as a sick person doesn't need any help. He just goes and does it, and that's great, you know. But with Jake, you know, I've helped um, in terms of advice and all that. No, not any it, but advice so that's what I want to do in terms of you know, so books, no, definitely um, other things, I definitely because I still love writing and it's still a vacation of mine um, what I would like to say by finishing is that um, just to thank everybody who ever bought a book um, either from me or from other sources who came to a book launch, good or bad who caused bother, it doesn't really matter it's all kind of content at the end of the day you know, I only ever tried to do what I loved and I loved Celtic and I loved writing, and I tried to combine them for both, so if you liked it, great, if you didn't, go fuck yourself. As
3: soon as you're born, they make you feel small By giving you no time instead of it all A working class hero is something to be Keep you doped with religion and sex and TV And you think you're so clever and classless and free But you're still fucking peasants as far as I can see Class hero is something to be. A working class hero is something to be. This room at the top, they are telling you still. But first, you must learn how to smile as you kill.